millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, the name of the podcast is The Altenar Stars. The name of me is Chris Payne. I'm your host today. And uh, usually we have cool bands on the podcast. We're going to switch it up this week. We're going to have some hopefully cool journalists on talking about things. Um, I know we're not as fun as a band, so we'll try to be extra interesting. And I'm actually pretty confident we will because we have a pretty good panel assembled here today to talk about our topic, which is streaming. Uh, It's something that in the music industry in general is always in the discussion. But lately it's been pretty big outside the music space. A lot of that's because of Tidal the uh, streaming service relaunched by Jay-Z at the end of March. It's a premium streaming service uh, that you can only pay for. Uh, The premium uh, $20 per month membership includes lossless files, not compressed, which Spotify doesn't have. It was unveiled uh, at a live unveiling, streams online last month with Kanye, Jack White, Madonna, Nicki Minaj, all signing a contract. It's got people talking. So um, beyond that, I want to talk about what streaming means for artists because it's an alternative music podcast. I want to talk especially about what it means for smaller and indie artists who are often said to be like left out of the conversation with streaming. So some interesting pertinent things I want to talk to. So introduce who we have on the show today. Sitting to my left, we have Billboard business editor, Andrew Flanagan. Thank you for that confidence-boosting uh, introduction, Chris. Mm-hmm. <laughs> This is your first time on on my podcast, I know. Have you been on a podcast before? Yeah. I okay. was on whatever Joe's podcast is called. <laughs> <laughs> it was the the, the new what music podcast. Say. Yes. Remember? Totally. The new music. Talk to Sleater Kinney. Yeah. Okay. Glad to be here. Okay. Awesome. Glad to have you. And we have charts manager Emily White. Hello. And charts manager William Gruger. Hello. Hey, so... I have a nice little team assembled here, and Flan, Andrew Flanagan, you're called Flan for yeah. to introduce you <laughs> to the world, to my podcast. Uh, <laughs> so um, you have a pretty good perspective on the nitty-gritty of why artists make what they do on streaming, which people often rail against. Artists themselves take to Twitter, write think pieces, oh my god, I only get paid one-tenth of a cent for every stream, it's so unfair, but... Your perspective on this, and you write about this, work with this a lot, is that it really isn't so much the streaming service's fault for all that. No, the they pay a rate, and they each they pay the labels money, and that's a set rate. They take their cut. 
they pay the labels and then there's a big filter between the rights holder which generally means the label that controls the music and what they pay that artist and that's all dependent on the contract they have with that label and those vary wildly for instance jeff barrow just tweeted yesterday or two days ago that he got 1700 pounds from 34 million streams which is roughly half the normal rate of 0.0009 cents per stream he got like 0.0005 so that's just how much it can it can vary Mm -hmm. and um that there's no there's rhyme or reason to it but there's also a lot of play in where that money goes Mm -hmm. so it's you said the rights holders is the ones who basically dictate the rates not the streaming service those are those are established by negotiations that happen biannually um between rights holding bodies like merlin which is an independent label organization and uh the major labels which control most of it um so those rates are established every two years and that's coming up at the end of the summer i believe Okay, so it's basically the labels who dictate the rates, is what you're saying. Labels and, um, yeah, independent trade bodies, mm-hmm. like Merlin. Okay, and would the independent trade bodies be with people who are outside of the major label game? I'm is sorry? That what that is? Are the independent label bodies like Merlin, is that for artists who are outside of the major label game? Yes, generally. Mm-hmm. Emily looked like she wanted to weigh in on yeah. something there. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, that's the way it works for any type of retailer, whether it's physical Mm -hmm. retail, whether it's iTunes or whether it's streaming. You know, retailers pay rights holders. They, in most cases, are not paying artists directly. And I think that's the biggest misconception out there is exactly what Andrew's talking about. Like, there's all of this stuff that happens in between um, that is uh, a little more difficult for the public to understand. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's sort of the key to how money is being distributed between retailers and artists. It's that middle layer that's the most important. And that middle layer, this is William jumping in, um, differs from artist to artist. It deals from organization to rights holders, and most of those are all under NDAs, all under closed doors. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's between the rights holders, so which is the label, and the service provider. So sometimes the artists don't really even see how they break down, um, and it varies from person to person. So you know, while you have people like Jay Z who raps, I'm I own my own masters. You know, I ain't missing no royalty statements in the uh, We Made It remix. Um, that might differ for an artist whose career's heyday was in the '70s, and there were no streaming contracts mm-hmm. or there were no streaming services, so there weren't mm-hmm. any streaming clauses written into their contract and so all this money that you know could be earned off of their recorded music really isn't helping them out too much because their deal that they signed a long time ago was never Mm -hmm. even structured that way in the first place well but you know what about that entire class of artists that are using like a royalty administration aggregator like tunecore or cd baby you know sure would you put those more in like the newer sort of like artists that are that are that are approaching the situation like i'm saying yeah if if i'm an independent exactly so i'm an independent artist i control my music i own my own masters and i'm using you know a a royalty you know aggregation Mm -hmm. distribution service like like tunecore and i'm still getting a really bad 
Yeah, right. they still don't make a ton of money. Yeah. Um, Even when I don't have a label that's that's taking something off the top. So, you know, TuneCore mm-hmm. and CD Baby do take, um, you know, usually they either have an upfront fee or they're taking a percentage of royalties. And it's much, much smaller than, you know, your typical major label deal probably is. But those artists are still. And I mean, on the flip side, the mm-hmm. scale of yeah, well, obviously, yeah. streams is mm-hmm. much higher. So that's that's a really interesting problem because streaming services create, you know, streaming services pay out according to scale. You need volume to make up market share. That pay, exactly that paycheck. So, um, you know, what Emily's really getting at is that creates a really big problem for a lot of these artists who may be really great, may have very niche fan bases who might buy their their albums, um, but on, in a streaming world the numbers just aren't big enough mm-hmm. for them to generate an income that would guarantee a living. Yeah. Um, and that's a problem. I mean, mm-hmm. and it, and it, you know, it, it tails off way, you know, the, the biggest artists, they make a good chunk of change. Um, but that's also because they're the biggest artists. Mm-hmm. They, the, 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 it's an, ex- an exponential distribution, I would say. And well, that's I'm, sort of, sorry. oh, I was going to say, and, but that's sort of the, the story that's being sold to everyone is that, oh, you know, once streaming scales, obviously these rates go up, you know, as more consumers adopt on-demand streaming as the primary way they listen to music, you know, things get better. The rates will increase. Just hold tight. We'll convert free users into pay users. Just hold tight. We've it's been, gonna scale. It's gonna scale. We've been hearing it for how many years now? But I mean, if you look at, um, you know, Spotify, which is the biggest on-demand streaming service in the world, I mean, Flan, do you know what the updated, like, worldwide user number is? So, uh, 60? 60 million. 60 million. million. So 60 million. million paid users. Yeah, so 60 million total, 15 million paid. Um, I wish we could pull up how many people subscribe to Netflix. What is that number? Mm, you know, a third of America, forty yeah, million. Yeah, exactly. Um, and sixty million is what percentage of music consumers in the world? You know, that's like one percent. You know, I, I yeah. I'm obviously playing around with numbers here, but you know, obviously the scale isn't here now. But you know, the growth rate has not been awesome either so it kind of leaves a lot of people frustrated because the reality right now is that the rates are bad uh for a lot of people yes yeah some exceptions i mean i mean i've talked to independent artists that don't really care about the rates either because they're moving past looking at streaming as a revenue generator and more of a social media platform to connect to their fans Mm -hmm. and relying on either tour revenues which fine but like also sites like patreon yeah where they can which is the right attitude to have right now because all you can really do is embrace the new technology while it's here um instead of fighting it it's it's it seems sustainable but do you really think like i mean it seems like it's the best attitude to have but is it sustainable because if you're basically an, an artist who's outside of that upper echelon and you're just conceding that you're not really going to make money off of album sales, streaming, or anything, and you're totally putting your livelihood as an artist and touring and merch and stuff like that, mm-hmm. is that sustainable? I mean, it's it, it's interesting because when you ask that question, you sort of get into the idea of values. Like, where's the value in the music? Are we, are we valuing the music or are we valuing like the experience or what exact, where exactly is the value, like monetary value mm-hmm. being created? Well, so um, I, was, I was just going to say like, you know, this, you know, we can kind of dovetail maybe into like Taylor Swift's chief argument off of this and saying like, 
oh, I don't like streaming services because they offer music for free. And if you give something away for free, it inherently speaks to the fact that it's the less value. value of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah, we, I'll let somebody else jump well, in. I was going to say, William, I know you have uh, thoughts on um, sort of the ripple effects of that kind of message. <laughs> yeah. Uh. It's, it's pretty obnoxious. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, Taylor Swift, to kind of recap and bring up, you know, Taylor Swift did a very, make a very bold maneuver around her release of 1989 by deciding to keep it off of Spotify and streaming services. To keep it off of the free, the f any any streaming service with a free tier. Correct. Is, it was the, the, the message. So, Although, well, the, select. 1989 was never on any of them. Because mm -hmm. she took her back catalog off of, mm -hmm. the, her back catalog, she took off of all the services that had a free tier. Mm -hmm. And she had a very public statement, which more or less said, Offering music for free devalues music. I'm not willing to make that stand. But so, so let's look at like what exactly does a freemium tier do? Um, and I was gonna, what Emily sort of said is that, you know, there's this conversion rate factor. There's a, there's a, there's a, how, there's a very small pie of people who listen to music that sign up for these services. The more people, you know, we just discussed that's, earlier. That sign up for freemium or just any of the That, part that of the sign service. up to pay for music okay. services. And so, uh, you know, as Emily pointed out, the more people that sign up, the, the better it is for everybody. Because these services, as Flynn pointed out, scale and they offer more payouts based on how they scale. So the idea is the, the more people you can get to sign up, the better. So what's a way to get people to get to, to pay money for something is to offer a free tier. That's just an internet thing. Which is something that Spotify has defended vociferously yes. and the, repeatedly. They are the I loudest mean, proponents of it. And free music is very, very expensive for Spotify because they yes. absorb the cost of all of the freeloading. You know, ad-supported streaming does not make a lot of revenue. You know, Spotify makes whatever money it's making basically from subscriptions and mm -hmm. from subscribers Probably from a lot of advertising well they make more they money make... from subscribers than they really? make from advertising okay. absolutely yeah. um you know ad the major labels streaming. have equity in spotify and they get a piece of that advertising okay yeah. which as far as i understand doesn't have to be paid back to artists hmm. anyway sorry to interrupt no it's okay um i mean ad supported streaming that that freemium layer that we're talking about is not a big revenue generator. You know, vinyl sales generated more money for the industry last year than ad-supported streaming did at whole. Wow. Um, and vinyl sales are like 1% of the recorded yeah. music. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but as you know, as William says, the, the proposition there and the, the reason that Spotify is willing to lose so much money, <laughs> you know, millions of dollars mm. on free music is because it's you know uh, considered to be a funnel, you know it's it's supposed to convert, you know you get people in the door by offering them a really awesome experience that's better than you know downloading files, um, yeah. and you get them hooked on that experience, and then you hope that they sign up to pay. Um, but you know the questions from the yeah you, you have to keep your fingers crossed that uh, you really you know, hate those ads and you just can't take it anymore. Well, exactly. Yeah. And so I mean the industry is kind of you know uh, wants you know is wondering um, how effective that free tier is. Spotify maintains that they have a twenty five percent year over year conversion rate between free and their premium tier. So that number 
according to them, or this, this method of theirs is working to some degree to attract paying customers um, from those who otherwise would not be paying a subscription fee. Hulu's yeah. paid free-to-paid uh, user conversion rate uh, four years ago was 3%. 3%. Spotify's is 25%? Uh, Netflix is 93 Wow. Mm-hmm. Netflix has a free tier? No, I don't think they do. No. That would contribute to their <laughs> excellent conversion rate. <laughs> conversion rate from nothing? <laughs> well, they have the 30-day trial. That must be what that is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, well, uh, let's, uh, we got, Tidal, we have... Tidal had a, had a free trial. Yeah, let's uh, talk. Let's talk about title. Which uh, I wanted to I get signed to up for, and then uh, yeah, let's my, talk about my credit card was charged twenty dollars. <laughs> yeah. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's a business expense. You can take that <laughs> off on your taxes. So yeah, em- Emily wrote a pretty good post sizing up title for Billboard last month. So could you summarize that for us? Um, sure. Um, I basically, um, I signed up for title and uh, sorry, I used it. Uh, <laughs> it's okay. Um, at my I used it on the bus. I used it in the subway. I used it at home and just to kind of get a look, um, at how the product currently, you know, worked in its current iter- iteration. Um, obviously Emily, Jay-Z. let me just interject quickly. Emily's like a streaming music connoisseur. Like she knows Thank all you. of it inside and out. So um, we had her do a little review. Thanks. Anyway. Um, Yeah, so I just kind of wanted to look at how the product worked. And obviously, this was an existing product that Jay-Z purchased. I think a lot of, um, like, mainstream consumers didn't really realize that the product had been around in the U.S. since October. So there was a lot of excitement over the launch, but the launch just sort of equated to the launch event and some new um, content on the service. And the merger of Wimp and Tidal. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. but the the existing service didn't didn't change all that much. So Um, it's basically just take a look at this. We're making it public, putting it out mm -hmm, there. Yeah. Here you go. Yeah, and exactly. And it it has sort of, um, as I I think I say in the article, like all the bells and whistles of most on-demand streaming services. Like they all sort of have the same standard feature set. So there's um, a radio function. There's um, playlists. There's artist pages. There's artist bios. You know, a lot of it is really the same. Is it social too? Um, no. Okay. So um, there are a couple of things that are missing. Sorry. So there's no social layer. Um, so you can't see sort of in Spotify how you see that, that stream of what your friends are listening to. There's nothing mm-hmm. like that in Tidal yet. Um, there's also uh, just a couple of like. There's no last FM scrabbler yet. 
I checked, but I think well. it's coming. <laughs> that, that's why I stopped using Pete's. I couldn't Scrabble, <laughs> so I just got out of there. Scrabbling is from like night 2003. But I still like it. Scrabble, still does it, it exist? Did I listen to Maybe it? Maybe you should just enjoy the music and not I, the um, numbers the music provide you. I have a friend. <laughs> I have a friend who, whenever he listens to a record, on you know, whenever he listens to vinyl, oh, he no puts way. the corresponding album on on his computer that's and mutes it. That's fucking ridiculous. So that the Scrabbles count. Wow. Yeah, it's the worst I had seen was, well, I don't, I don't know if you say worse. I saw someone who had a disclaimer on their last FM mm-hmm. that they also listened to lots of vinyl and that it was not accounted for in the last <laughs> FM statistics. Jesus Christ. I listened to, I used last <laughs> FM scrabbling for a week and then I was like, why the fuck am I, what do I care? Why do you, what do you, okay, um, let me just get into the weeds here a little bit. Like, what do you guys get out of it, like, emotionally? Because it's like my history. It's like, yeah, oh, wow. I've had it since <laughs> I was in Are high school. Are you kidding me? It's oh, like, my God. Do you oh my know God. how many spoon scrabbles I have? <laughs> I just found out like a week, like a few weeks ago, like Kanye West passed the Beatles as my like most listened to artist of all time. Like that's dope to know. Uh, I'm pretty if I sure. Had this, if I had this in, in high school, like I wonder how high Metallica would have been on this list. Um, right, I'm pretty sure enough. J.K. Rowling is in my top 10 because of all of the Harry Potter <laughs> autobooks, <laughs> audiobooks, excuse me. So you guys are data crunching your aesthetic lives. Yeah, yeah same. and okay. I can see like a week by week. I can think about an important week in my life and see what I was listening to. Okay. That week. Yeah. You know. All right. Like I, yeah. I like I like having that record. I would be curious to like see my just got dumped playlist. I guess. It's also like your you, <laughs> exactly. You, you see your weird like you you see your weird like listening habits. Like wow, I listened to Yonkers by Tyler the Creator a lot. <laughs> like wow. Yeah. Like, why? And at the end of every year, I can pull and see you know what albums I listened to the yeah. most that year. year and, by year. You know, it's, yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's totally I mean, great. you know, at the uh, at the end of last year, everyone was sharing those my year in Spotify mm-hmm. um, graphics mm-hmm. that were pulled from their spotify listening history that were showing you know what i listened to per you know what artists the most of that season um you know what device i was using to listen you know i figured they had a couple different yeah, yeah. other um signifiers but um uh i do um going back to title for a second yeah sorry my it's favorite thing about title is that there's this weird little easter egg in title on the phone when you use the mobile app you can go to a little side menu that is track info and it shows you song credits so it shows you Uh, like writer credits producer credits um engineer credits like it only shows it where it's available so um it's not for every song and um you know the credits for every song aren't complete but i think i point out in the article if you go to um sam smith's um stay with me it lists tom petty Mm -hmm. as a songwriter so it's up to date you're a uh, Emily's also a metadata crusader. Yes. <laughs> well, because I mean, this is um, you know, a big thing. Sort of when we're having these discussions about how all of these different products look and work, is that um, there's kind of a it's a little disappointing, you know. This type of service has been around since when did Rhapsody launch? You know, like on-demand uh, streaming like is not is not new, but you know the advancements we've seen mm-hmm. in these kind of features, like Spotify just launched a feature where you can see lyrics, you know, corresponding as you're listening to a song. That's so you really click good. Click a tab, and they use Music Match, mm-hmm. and it plays the lyrics in line with the song. 
that just happened in 2015. Or you know what would be needed? <laughs> like, something that could there's next, so many different feature sets. Sorry, next, go ahead. The next step could be like a kind of a rap genius sync where not mm-hmm. only do you get lyrics mm-hmm. in time with the song, but you get in sync annotations. Yeah, That'd I be mean, kinda neat. that would be awesome. It just seems... Everyone cool. wants that, not just music <laughs> nerds. Everyone. Um, it seems insane to me that... There are no that we d- don't have like album credits or song credits yeah. in streaming services at a mass level. It seems insane to me that you know that lyrics aren't automatically there. You know, it's insane. Yeah. Uh, well, there's a there's a historical, I guess, sort of maybe precedent for that, which is like you know the, the music industry was was built upon selling records, and artists made a lot of their money off of selling these records, mm-hmm. but. The way what metadata directly applies to in the streaming world is where rights are allocated, who rights are allocated towards. And when those are wrong or incomplete or messed up, or that means that people aren't getting paid. That means that songs maybe like aren't mm-hmm. getting picked up on content ID on YouTube. Mm-hmm. It means that songwriters aren't getting paid, publishers aren't getting paid. It means that like yeah. just the money isn't being allocated towards and, the right people. And to like boil that down for a second, that can be something as simple as J dash Z or J space D. Like that's yeah. a metadata error that can, you know, mm. cause huge problems in linking tracks in, you know, associated uh, you know, rates and and money, you know, yeah. it's, it's it's where how money is allocated. Think how much think how much money Engelbert Humperdinck has lost in his career <laughs> due to metadata snafus. People aren't spelling his name correctly. <laughs> yeah, and it's like when there's a missed character or a misappropriated producer, the field is left blank, or there's a bunch of garbage that shows up. Yeah, when when you know when ads are running mm-hmm. and the computer records that an ad ran against J J dash Z's music, mm-hmm. the and then it can't find an artist named J-Z, so then it yeah. puts into a slush fund. I mean, I think every year, <laughs> I think every year, um, like, like, what's this, Harry Fox or what, what's the rights collecting organization? Sound Exchange. Sound Exchange. Yeah. They oh, my God. Forth, the like, unclaimed yeah, money from Sound Exchange because people aren't registered with Sound Exchange. And for all those problems William just mentioned, like, there's a pool, huge pool of money that just can't be matched to the appropriate rights holder. I've got it right here, actually. What's the number? Tell us. Ninety-six Tell us million. What? Ninety-six million dollars. Which is a, which is a uh, drop of twenty-five million dollars from twenty thirteen. Twenty drop. So just let that sink so in. So twenty. For a it, was, it improved by twenty-five million dollars to ninety-six million, mm-hmm. which like is give still it all a Jay-Z. whole because bunch of money. Basically, I mean, to bring this, this back. Also, that also happens with artists. Like, if you have a friend that's in a band and they get played on Pandora somehow, and mm-hmm. they don't sign up with Sound Exchange. Mm-hmm. Sound Exchange can't pay you if they don't know who the hell you are. Well, exactly. Mm -hmm. I mean, that goes back to, you know, because services are missing that key information of, you know, session musicians, you know, featured players, exactly what you just said. Like, that's a whole, that's a whole other Mm ballgame. Like, but we're just talking about the featured artists. We're talking about the featured artists. It's insane. Um, And to bring it back to what we were talking about in the beginning, it's sort of because uh, there's this misconception that, Spotify is making all of these payments, where Spotify is just sort of reporting a play log to intermediaries who are responsible for distributing and allocating. You know, it's right. Spotify, you know, doesn't have the infrastructure to 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 make those payments. They sort of outsource the messy, complicated process of of divvying up artist distribution. You mean artist distribution or just the money they are making? The money they are making. Okay. Yeah, because they pay the labels, ASCAP, BMI, exactly. and CSAC. And then 
they figure out how to split that up. Yep. She's like, you take it from there. Mm-hmm. You know? um, yeah, so a few more things I want to touch on here. Um, uh, Flynn, you were talking about you know how the uh, like a, a small band I'm getting paid on Pandora. You would have to register in order to see that money. I want to just to link this back to the Alt and Our Stars, the theme of the podcast. Turn things over to smaller musicians, maybe unsigned or signed with a smaller, more DIY indie label. Mm-hmm. If you were giving advice, or if you were that artist, what would you sign? What would you do? What wouldn't you do? How would you guide your career? There, I mean, there's services like Emily mentioned, like TuneCore, that are very bare boned, and you can pay them a very small flat fee. I think it's fifty bucks. I can't remember off the top of my head, mm-hmm. but it's not, they, it's not. Yeah, much. they have a set fee per album. Maybe ninety nine bucks now. But anyway, each year you pay them this set fee, and they put all your stuff on YouTube, Spotify, everything, and they kind of take care of that aspect of it, leaving you some room to not have to negotiate that mm-hmm. and that's great um services like Bandcamp, which kind of centralize your social media profile right i mean there's a lot of places where an independent artist can go to simplify their relationship to the digital music marketplace essentially leaving you because I, I mean i have a lot of friends and bands and they don't have a lot of time between working a day job or whatever to work on actual music and also work on reaching their fans yeah which is that last part is the most important part reaching out to whoever likes you and making sure that they know what you're up to yeah i mean just to dovetail off what flan is saying it's just a a matter of like keeping it all connected so like using a service like that that's really simple they do all the, the heavy lifting for you so that you know everything is correct one but that you know it, it helps you to be able to use these services as more of a platform because you're not they're not really going to be a revenue generating standpoint because what we said earlier you're not gonna, you know they don't scale big especially enough especially for an indie band yeah. i mean nobody knows about you so yeah. like but like if you use a centralized place like bandcamp to have all of your social profiles in one place and through a place like tunecore have all of your music correctly distributed out everywhere and all of that is found on your bandcamp profile you know, you, you create a world where people can find you and make it very, very easy to listen to you. Mm. I mean, another feature set that took, you know, um, on-demand streaming a long time to adapt, which seems really natural, is just putting tour dates next to an artist profile page. That putting, took forever to Putting links out. to merch, you mm-hmm. know, things that seem really And Facebook, too, simple took forever just to make natural. that. Mm-hmm. Remember, like, I in whatever, 2008, making a band page on facebook was the biggest pain in the ass yeah they like mm-hmm. behind myspace because even though they were so much more advanced and cooler than myspace at that point myspace was such a big thing was profiles for musicians and facebook was just mm-hmm. like oh college student profiles yep yeah yeah, yeah. but it's, they took it over it's now, now but it's it took much time better, like mm-hmm. emily was saying yeah um which that's another thing i think i pointed out in the title articles they um don't seem to be incorporating those types of, of links yet. Right. And and that's that's really important. I mean, that's that's what leads a big factor in, say, Spotify's success is their connection with Facebook's social graph. Now, if you ignore the connection and ownership, and I think Sean Parker is in bed with both camps, mm-hmm. but, like, Spotify is very, very much engaged with Facebook, and it leverages Facebook's social graph. And just, you know, that, that also contributes to the biggest artists getting the most amount of plays because they're related but you know the lady gaga will carry more edge rank than um you know an indie band but 
you know, that's just, if, if you can use streaming services to leverage social, that's a really huge inherent value to having your stuff correctly distributed across streaming services to an independent artist. And w one thing to back up about Tidal was that something to consider is that Apple bought Beats streaming service over a year ago, and they still haven't launched it, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, Jay-Z and the 16 other friends of his, the super friends, they bought, <laughs> they bought it and they launched it in like a month so i think that those features are going to be rolling out mm -hmm. but it's just so brand new yeah 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 i mean um yeah and that makes me think that like that consolidation i mean a lot of them are all the same they have the same catalog but i bet they're going to look the same yeah that's a that's a kind of a worry point for me going forward is you know if you're to sort of graph out the sort of like innovation curve of these streaming services um, in my mind, it's sort of flattened out. You know, as Emily sort of pointed out, you know, uh, Tidal is very similar to Spotify. I even think like the icons on the browse page. There's are, like, a there's a screenshot on uh, Billboard.com. <laughs> yeah, they're they're very and so up until now, this has been a, a tech war first, a tech battle first, and a, and a content battle second. But as differentiation amongst the different platforms is flatlining and that there you really can't make anything better than what Spotify or Beats is. I mean, it's all the same thing. So, all right, so then how do you compete in the market? I don't know if that's true. I, I, I think you can make something better. And what, what it would look like. Because, you know, the problem that we keep well, talking about here... don't tell them you'll, you'll lose yeah, your billions of dollars. <laughs> <laughs> um, the problem we keep talking about here is, you know, that conversion rate of not just free to paid subscribers, but of music listeners to on-demand streaming service users, you know? So how do you get the masses to sign up for something that in our minds is like, oh man, access to nearly all the world's recorded music in this easy to use mobile app and desktop app? Sure, I'll sign up, that sounds awesome. But to the average consumer, you know they're not signing up yet. So how do you make a product that they want to sign up for? So the average, the average, the average, the average listener being like the mm. twelve-year-old girl is going to go and listen to Lady Gaga fifteen I mean, times in a row on YouTube. Yeah. The average listener <laughs> is someone that is going to go to Spot or Pandora. Yeah. And hit a button and deal with five ads. Exactly. exactly. That's an amazing point. So when you talk about, you know, maybe these services have gotten as good as they're going to get, you know, I think a core thing that Spotify is trying to tackle is that easy button and that lean back experience. And, you know, that's why they bought the Echo Nest is to, is to work on that. Um, so what, what, what does a service look like where you log on and you press an easy button and it plays exactly what you want to hear? I think that's, yeah. that's the question that they're yeah. working towards. I mean, it looks like Pandora. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, pre when I press Pandora, it doesn't play what I want to hear. Yeah. It, I mean, I almost exclusively go off my own iTunes. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're getting into a conversation where, you know, you're addressing the needs of like what a mass market consumer wants and then you're having a bunch of people who like live and breathe music <laughs> like you know apply their like very niche specific like last right. fm angry needs people that to go to like even, way within, too many shows even a month within and... that even within you know generally i know what i want to listen to there are absolutely moments where i just like want to i just want i just want to press a button and i just want it to work and i just want to like it yeah. Just know? put Eno on Pandora. Yeah, or just click good. browse, and then I go to the indie chill playlist <laughs> on Spotify. It's not good enough for me. <laughs> well, one last thing as we're starting to run out of time, I believe, in this oh. room in our office. I wanted to close on, like, look to the future a little bit. And, like, say 10 years ago, if it was 2005, 
illegal downloading was more of the hot button issue. The legal alternative was basically if you're not buying the CD in a store, the Apple iTunes store. Now things are much more cloud oriented. Streaming is the way to go, even though those other alternatives still exist. So let's say 10 years in the future, 2025, where do you guys see things heading? Well, uh, hopefully we'll all have driver, uh, self-driving cars <laughs> and, uh, my commute experience, uh, well, not my commute, but you know, lots of people's commute experience will be just lounging back, uh, having that easy button that we talked about before that is automatically playing them a mix of spoken word content, video content, <laughs> music content. It is completely in tune to what time of day it is, what mood it's in, what their heart rate is. Um, the weather. The weather. Um, what's on their calendar. Um, like who else is in the car. So That's not even that it's, crazy. It's melding yeah, it's really my not. taste profile with Flan's taste profile and Gruger's pro taste profile and playing something that the three of us might enjoy what did that look like, like um, saint vincent <laughs> flying lotus <laughs> yeah pretty much then, that's it yeah that's <laughs> it it'll just be those two <laughs> um but it'll be like a mashup that's like to our heartbeats or something mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um please not uh i don't want that um but uh yeah and then whatever i'm listening to in my uh self uh, in my driverless car, um, stays with me as I leave the car. It's in my kitchen on my awesome, uh, I don't know, what will speakers be like? You don't even future? remember remember what solid food tastes like. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, I don't know. What do you guys think? Uh, I'm, a little, I'm a little less optimistic. <laughs> uh, I just feel like, you know, to continue with the thought I was saying earlier about, like, you know, there's, if there's not a lot of I, – I don't think there's that much innovation to be had on the platforms. So what I think is going to start to happen, if, it's, if what we're seeing literally today with Jay-Z dropping his video only on titles, any indication, is that the way these platforms are going to start to try and differentiate themselves is by exclu like making exclusivity mm -hmm. windows on their content. Mm -hmm. and so we're, looking, we're looking 10 years into the future, though, right? I that was think, the, I think so? that, that could said, be think think We're still going to be dealing like with those silos? Where that's, we've done everything we can. Mm -hmm. I think that, let's say, like, going indie becomes cool and instead of like being beholden to a major rights holder or the biggest artist in the world drake taylor swift jay-z decide to forego that cost and just like hire their own ceo and be their own platform and then then like maybe you would pay you just subscribe to your favorite artist and that's it there's no middleman right well i mean that's what and tyler the, the creator is trying um with whale rock and yeah. with his with his app and jaden Bandcamp is going to start offering that soon so instead of asking someone, you meet like, oh, like what bands are you into? You'd be like, yo, what kind of lifestyle brands are you into? Well, no, it'd be more like, oh, I subscribe. You know, I pay five bucks a month for OVO. Mm. Um, I pay five bucks a month for Rock Nation. Drip FM does it. Yeah, mm. but but that's not cool yet. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, major <laughs> artists. I mean, yeah. we, what we see benefit more from going through major distribution. Like, I mean, that's you know. the way things well, go. It's, it's a you constant. Just touch on something very important, which is that the structures around distribution of an artist that has tens of millions of fans mm -hmm. requires major investment, Correct. which mm -hmm. requires powerful people with a lot of money to build the infrastructure to do that. And those people also have the power to control the legislative process mm -hmm. around streaming services, consent decrees, publishing royalties. And on and on. So my prediction is that uh, people who have a lot of power are going to continue to have a lot of power. Mm. <laughs> well, and like the what you talked about is like being able to subscribe like individually to individual artists. I mean, that's just sort of the pattern that content goes through. It gets bundled and it gets unbundled mm -hmm. and it gets bundled and it gets unbundling. Yeah, yeah. Like this is the next. It's all going to get unbundled into all these different individual 
um, pockets and then we're all going to get really frustrated with that and bundle it all up again. Um, yeah. So. Woo. Uh, yeah. And the internet will break it like it yeah. always does. Yeah. Exactly. There are bundles. The internet breaks the bundles. The internet makes the new bundles. That's, that's, yeah. We, I think yeah. we, we, we. There, yeah. <laughs> there'll be some new thing that comes on. People do that yeah. maybe won't even be music. It'll be Oculus Rift watching Snapchat all day or something. So there you have it. <laughs> the future. Well, thanks, thanks for a great discussion, guys. I mean, I came into this not really having a deep knowledge of this kind of stuff, and I feel like I learned a lot. So, thank you for having me. Mm. Yeah, yeah. it was a pleasure, thanks absolute for... pleasure. So um, that concludes episode of the Alt in Our Stars. We'll be back next week, next Friday, as we run every single Friday on Billboards.com. We'll have an interview with Speedy Ortiz, whose new album is absolutely fantastic. Ooh. So tune in then, and remember, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes by clicking the link towards the bottom of the story. You can also listen to archived episodes in there, too. Waxahachie was recently on the podcast, All Time Low, Pete Wentz from way back. Lots of good stuff in there, so check that out. Until next time, have a good weekend, guys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.